1: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to the Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Perone Yusef Zada. Perone is a wonderful director and teacher. She was roommates with my husband and Nick Choksi when we were all in our respective grad school programs years ago, and we've been friends ever since. I was lucky enough to collaborate with her on The Food Odyssey a few years ago, which you'll hear about, and I admire Perone's work and approach to theater so much, and I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the 27th episode of The Compass. Well, I'm so excited to be talking with you, Prone. Thank you for coming over. So, what do you do to try to keep yourself from going to the dark side as an artist? Hmm.
1: Yeah. I think I think the dark side can spring from a lot of different (laughs) places for me. I have many dark sides, Leah. Um, (laughs) um, Personal
0: and professional. (laughs)
1: It's true. true. I mean, I think, though, that, like, ultimately, whatever the inciting event might be or the circumstances might be, for me, the dark side is um, sort of the like taking whatever that sort of isolated thing is and creating this like large story out of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Where it's no longer just whatever that specific situation was, whether it was, you know, not getting a job that I wanted or having a sort of fraught situation with a collaborator and letting that sort of turn into the story of my life
0: right (laughs) this always happens yeah everyone saw that yeah yeah this
1: is who I am Mm -hmm. um, you know I often go back to um, what one of my mentors in grad school um, talked about a lot which was essentially that the way you articulate anything is the way it comes into existence Mm -hmm. it's the way it'll be Um, and uh you know she sort of used the example of like what people name a theater company often ends up sort of telling the story of and and predicting what that theater company becomes if you call Mm. if you call yourself two cent theater company you know that's probably
0: (laughs) (laughs) the niche you're gonna yeah
1: yeah and um yeah uh so you know i i uh definitely think about that a lot in my work but I also think that that really lands for me as far as combating the dark side and being able to sort of clock those moments where I am starting to go that, that down that path and stop myself and say, what's the actual story here? What actually happened here? Um, and I think it's also connected to um, the feeling of being out of control and, um, being, um, the victim of circumstances, Mm -hmm. which is not really a place i like to be. And so, um, in those situations, I think that part of how I combat the dark side is by identifying the factors that are actually within my control, which are usually, which usually far outnumber the factors Mm. outside of my control and then taking proactive steps in order to, um, you know, to ameliorate whatever negative situation, to pursue what I want to pursue. I have a rule, you know, when when things get really rough where I'll just sort of play a little game with myself and I'll say, today, do three proactive things, Hmm. you know, which usually ends up being more like five or six because once I get on a roll, I start feeling better, you know. But just, just to sort of, like, set a little benchmark for myself, it does a lot to sort of combat that that other story, which is, I think, easy to go, go towards, right. you
0: know? Yeah, it's easy to go down that road of, like, I am i can't do anything, and everyone's against me, and everything's being done to me. Yeah, but once you're proactive mm-hmm. and yeah. are doing sending an email, even... Yeah,
1: yeah. and sometimes it'll be, like, that simple, where I'll be like, I will email this person, and mm-hmm. I will read this play, and I will... Do this research for this upcoming project and all of right. a sudden it's like I'm a whole woman and
0: I feel so much better. Or do you ever like I find myself being much more communicative in the recent years and being like, Okay, if I, I thought this person misunderstood me mm-hmm. and was judging me for this or was offended by something I did and I can actually have that conversation now, right? Then I'm like one part of me might feel like it's overkill and I shouldn't bring it up, but another part of me is like it's worth it to just be honest and to know that they're not thinking that I meant to offend them or that I meant to hurt them and like, get it out on the table. It's like, okay. And if it, if it, if they didn't take it that way, then at least I know now. (laughs) I feel like those, those conversations go a long way too. Yeah.
1: I sort of feel like the I don't know what my twenties were, but I feel like my thirties are like the decade of candor, you know, like I feel yeah. like I definitely like just say it, you know, you just say it. And in the last year or two, particularly I've felt that, um, desire to be, um, blunt and, mm-hmm. um, and in order to get that information and then make decisions based on whatever information I get from having the honest conversation. And yeah. it does mean that I think, um, uh, there's less uncertainty, which is helpful. Um, it also means that like, I feel like I've learned, like, not everyone is a member of my tribe and that is okay. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, in, I think in my twenties, like I wanted everyone to be in my tribe. Yeah, Um, You know, there was that feeling of just like wanting to be just loved by everyone and someone everyone wanted to work with. And, you know, there's a little part of all of us that I think desires that, you know, we Mm -hmm. all like feeling loved and appreciated and like someone people want to be around. But I think I have more peace about the fact that, more peace of mind about the fact that that's just not going to be the case. And some people just aren't going to be
0: my jam and I'm not going to be their jam. Yeah. And that's- But it happen. might help you find the people who really are. Yeah. Who you're that, really meant to work through with. That, through that 100%. Honesty. Yeah. Because I think yeah.
1: like when you can have, you know, the, the hard, honest conversation or disagreement and then still emerge from that connected or even more connected, that's mm-hmm. how you really know. As opposed to, like, if you're just sort of tiptoeing around and trying to, just trying to be liked, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean, you're, you're certainly not, I feel like I'm certainly not, I'll speak for myself, not being really myself, if that's the priority, you know? And, uh, yeah, there've been a lot of different instances, both, both personal and professional over the last couple of years where, um, I've actually kind of like surprised myself feeling like, whoa, hey, who's this, like really honest gal you know <laughs> um, but I think it's made um, I think it's made me a better director and I think it's made me happier you know
0: and communication is such a huge part of directing yeah like what has your journey been like when, when did you figure out that you wanted to be a director and like what has that journey been of figuring out how to be the leader in the room and how to communicate to all these collaborators what you want to do
1: a journey I'm still very much on. Um, you know, I uh, I started out in this the way so many people do, you know, as an actor, and, um, and I loved acting, and at times still miss it periodically. And I had really, really great teachers. I went to um, Washington University in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and they um, had really amazing instructors there and great peers. Several of whom have, you know, continued to be collaborators and good friends. Um, and then there was this one summer where we had, we got to go to the Globe in London and do a four-week acting and directing intensive with some of our professors from WashU U and then some teachers from the Globe and uh, Jane Lapeter and all these mm. amazing people. And I was acting in some Shakespeare scenes and that was really fun. And then I got to direct this scene from Kim Lear. And it just sort of clicked. It felt like, oh, this is where I belong. This is how my brain works, actually. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think it sort of brought to light how much, like, as an actor, i would always kind of struggled to stay inside of a scene. And being really just, like, present to one character's journey and arc was it's something I so profoundly admire of great actors. And it's just something I never entirely... I could technically execute it, but emotionally, you know, I just never felt like I could just surrender to that.
0: That Like your eye was on the bigger picture. Yeah, I was Mm.
1: watching it the whole time. Mm. Um, There are a few moments, I think, as a performer where I transcended that, like two I can think of, you know, where because of great material and great direction, I I could forget myself. Um, But that was pretty rare. Um, And... So that's sort of where, where it began. And I think that, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I think that as a woman, um, and a woman of color, um, I, th- I think it's been a, a journey of learning how to un- unapologetically lead in a society that struggles with women in leadership positions. Yeah. Um, and I come up against that in my work. And for a while, when I was younger, I thought it was just because I was young. And sometimes I was the youngest person in the room. Right. Um,
0: Which might have been a coincidence.
1: Yes. And <laughs> I'm not that young anymore. Yeah. It's still, I still notice and experience things both sort of like obvious and, you know, very overt and also very subtle Mm -hmm. that say to me, like, this is still, this is a thing, you know? And so, I, you know, I think like in some, you know, there's been so many aspects of the journey about emboldening my directorial aesthetic and craft and, you know, getting more to the heart of the kind of work I want to do. I also think it's been about letting, letting, (laughs) letting myself be me in the room and letting the leader in me emerge, um, yeah. and not saying sorry for that. In yeah. All the ways in which I think women are conditioned to say they're sorry.
0: That's true. Yeah. Have a lot of your teachers along the way been women, or what was your experience if more of them were men?
1: Great male mentors, um, but but most of my teachers um, have been women. Uh, in in college, my directing mentor was this incredible professor uh, named Andrea Urice, and um, and I was also very much mentored by one of my acting teachers, um, Anna Maria Pulegi, who um, I think was a, a a big part of of my self-discovery as a director, not because, you know, she didn't discount me as an actor, but I think she, she helped me see myself, um, through her, through, through, um, her classes and, and, and working with her. And then, you know, in grad school, I was at Columbia and one of my two mentors there was Ian Bogart and, um, as well as Brian Hewlett. Um, and they're such an amazing combination so so very yin and yang um, <laughs> you know uh, and and I responded to each of them in a lot of in different different and equally valuable ways um, and I think from Brian, I learned a lot of technique and a lot of um, just really sharp skills and Anne would then come in and sort of ask the question that would blow my mind, you know, and, um, challenge me to reframe the way I was looking at, um, the work or a dilemma, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, or sort of collaborative issue. Um, uh, so, so I, I feel like I've been really fortunate to have a lot of different amazing influences and I, I, and there's like a sort of composite that's emerged from that that's a little bit you know it's a little bit anapology there's a little entry ice in there and there's a little info right in there yeah and then there's like you know and then there's the you know the next stage of like okay so what's the Perone in this you know? yeah um, yeah
0: yeah and then it's interesting like you're saying just being a female director taking into account everyone else's baggage when you walk into a room i assume like if you have a cast of three people or if you have a cast of 10 people they're all different sexes different ages different colors and they all have their own baggage as far as having a woman who might be older or younger than them in charge Mm -hmm. (sighs) (laughs) that's a lot that's a lot of stuff to yeah it
1: is
0: either just sail above or take into account
1: yeah it's um It is a lot. I mean, no matter what, you know, it's always a director's job to navigate and negotiate the personalities in the room. And even when, even in the most ideal circumstances with the dreamiest cast and team, there's still, there's still an element of being a director that's about like helping to alleviate insecurity Mm -hmm. and to allow for vulnerability in its positive expressions <laughs> so that it doesn't manifest itself in its more sort of destructive ways. Yeah. Um, so that's like always baseline part of the job and part of the job that I love because, um, because in a way... I, I really love learning that about people. And even observing those dynamics within the rehearsal room is fascinating to me. It's less fascinating when it's, like, a mess. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there is another layer, um, certainly. Hmm. Uh, and at times, you know, I've been, like, just speechless at uh, how whatever that baggage is that a person has about working with a woman of color, um, how that has manifested itself. And some Mm. of the things that have happened I've regrettably, you know, not been able to address or confront in the way that I wanted to because in the moment, I just, like, my jaw hit the floor and I didn't know what to do. Um, And so... But it's still sort of a question for me of like in in those moments, what is the appropriate response that still puts the work ahead of anything else, including my own ego, which I'm also right. susceptible to, you mm-hmm. know, um, and makes it not about that, and instead about how do we move forward, you know, um, yeah, and so yeah. you know, as much as as much as I hope that this is the age of candor um it's it's still a struggle sometimes in those moments because there's a question of do i say something right and risk whatever might come of that or do i take the path of least resistance you know and um, that might
0: be best for like using that block of rehearsal time but then Mm -hmm. do you spend hours thinking about it later Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah and also you know Um, how do I manage that with like, like you're saying sort of the personal cost, which, you know, it's, uh, it is, it is an element of directing to, you know, sort of hold, I think hold every, like hold one's struggle for the sake of supporting Hmm. the group, you know, whatever's going on internally, um, personally, or, you know, um, whatever sort of stress, um, I never feel like that has a place in the room because, well, you know, the actor's is the one who are going to have to do it eight shows a week. So like their stress, mm. I think takes precedence and, and helping them sort of get to a place of, you know, confidence and, you know, stability inside of the thing we're creating together. Yeah. Like that's more important, you know? So then it's a question of, okay, as I manage my own self care, like what do I do when rehearsal's over and I can put down everything mm. I've been holding, you know, and actually process it or.
0: What have you discovered? What is that process for you right now?
1: Well, in part, it's also, I think, about sort of how I'm holding everything else happening in the room. Yeah. It's not just, I think, I mean, there's certainly like a lot of value in the post rehearsal. Glass of bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Um, any young directors listening,
0: go
1: ahead, get yourself a bottle of Woodford Reserve. It'll help. Um, uh, it's like I did a product promo for you.
0: Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Hopefully, but- <laughs> they'll continue to sponsor the Compass in the future.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's also it's also been about figuring out like how am I actually negotiating my relationship to like other people's stuff in the room and like as a an empath to a great degree i think that that sometimes means i absorb things a little too deeply Mm -hmm. Um, and so including like the yucky stuff and the like Vaguely misogynistic, or not vaguely, but right. just the extra, the extra stuff, the extra yeah. stuff
0: that the had stuff. nothing to do with you, probably. Yeah. The, yeah.
1: the defensiveness, the insecurity, mm-hmm. all of the ways in which those things manifest themselves, and I think, like emotionally, I'm a sponge, and I'm trying to be a little bit more like Teflon. You know, like I'm trying <laughs> to be not entirely, because I think that's that can verge into you know just being insensitive, Um, but I'm trying to figure out sort of how can I be present to what's happening in the room without necessarily absorbing the emotional state of everyone around me, Um, and being able to draw a healthy boundary between what's my shit and what's someone
0: else's. Right. And be able to see the distinction. And what's what's the energy that's going on that has to do with the play and the characters and what's just somebody's insecurities or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, yeah, but like it's it's hard, you know, because we're all like we're all, you know, fragile creatures mm-hmm. and you know, and there's a there's like kind of a scared kid in all of us. Yeah. Um
0: That's what I usually try to remind myself, is like, you know, I'm worried that they're judging me or all of this stuff. And they were probably just worrying that everyone else was judging them. Like they probably weren't even thinking about you anyway. They were probably thinking about themselves.
1: It's so <laughs> I sort of have this theory actually that like the director's first rehearsal speech in part is, is solely to give the actors a moment where their focus is not on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I used to think like, Oh man, that is not for like, I, I really, um, uh, I pay a lot of attention to people's facial cues a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't get a lot back from someone, I get really scared. You know, if I'm, I'm like, I need a nod or a smile or something. Like, right. Just give me a little something. Um, and in, you know, first rehearsal, the big speech of, you know, why we're here and what we love about this play and what we're going to endeavor to build together. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll see a lot of like, kind of like stony faces and, and I used to worry that I just, you know, sounded like a moron (laughs) it was like so miserable to be there. And then I realized, you know, they're getting ready to read it for the first time and that's terrifying Um, Mm -hmm. and legitimately terrifying. And so part of the job of my speech is to give them a moment to breathe, you know, as much as like, yes, I should also say things that are substantive and relevant, and hopefully <laughs> inspiring, you know, um, it's also just sort of a, a, a respite from, you know, what we're about to embark on where the focus is going to be so entirely on them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and it's, and I think that that sort of realization has popped up for me countless times now of like, it's probably not about me, yeah. you know?
0: Now, I know that you've been teaching a lot recently, right, yeah. in yeah. Texas? Yeah. What have you been teaching, and how is, what has that been like for you? Um,
1: I, love, I just love teaching so much. And um, I've been, yeah, I was at UT Austin in the fall, um, mm-hmm. this past fall, also for a little bit the previous fall, and I was teaching undergraduate and graduate directing, Um. Which is like two completely different. Oh, I'm sure. At the same time, Um, it's kind of amazing to be teaching directing. I really is that the first
0: time. Last fall was the first time you really Um, taught it?
1: It it was, um, so like, like a year and a half ago I was there, I was covering for like a a professor's leave for like two months, but this, this past fall was the first time I designed the semester, like I Mm. designed my, my class and I wasn't sort of filling in for someone else's syllabus, but really designing top to tail what I was going to take these students through. Um, and it's weird because like. In a way, I felt
0: like, wait, wasn't I just in grad school? What am I doing? Right. <laughs> and then
1: I'm like, oh, wait, no, no,
0: it's been a little spell. It's been like, mm-hmm. s- you know,
1: it's been almost seven years um, yeah. since I
0: graduated. <laughs> and How did that happen? I know.
1: Time. No. It, it is a slippery thing. Um, yeah, and and going back and teaching really made me realize, like, oh, no, Perón. actually, those seven years, that's significant. That's a significant amount of time and growth. Um, And no, you're not in grad school anymore. Um, But at the same time, you know, it's like a second education to be teaching. Um, And that's what I love about it. And I feel like you know, this past semester, there were so many moments that landed for me, not just for what was happening for that student in that moment, but also just sort of put into perspective what had happened, you know, similar sort of like corollary experiences that I had Mm -hmm. where I was like, oh, oh, that's (laughs) what, oh, that's what Ann meant or like, yeah, Brian was totally right, you know, um, and And it just made me realize, like, how much, how much teaching is, like, a continuous investigation of the students, certainly, but also oneself. Like, I don't think, um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like so much of, so much of what this last semester revealed for me was also, like, what's important to me, and, you know in, in teaching this craft to someone else it's like well what's what's important to you sort of comes up to the surface cuz that's what you're leading with you know and that's what you're talking about and that's what you're hopefully imparting in some way you know to to students and so it's been like kind of revelatory not kind mm. of just revelatory yeah
0: and were you directing any shows when you were there too, or just just teaching the class?
1: I was just teaching the class. I did some workshops with some of the writers there. They have a really terrific playwriting program there, and so I worked with some of the some of the students there, and also um, one of the faculty members on one of his plays. Um, yeah, so I wasn't like regularly in rehearsal, mm-hmm. um, which was a little challenging because I kind of wanted to. it felt. I feel like I'm best when I'm both, ha- when I have to walk the walk while I'm talking the talk, Right. Know? Um Hold
0: yourself to what you're telling them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, as much as, you know, people get nervous about, like, industry professionals coming to see their work, there's nothing that makes me more nervous than when a student comes to see one <laughs> of my shows, because I'm like, well, right. either I did what I talk about, or I'm just... you know um but yeah this time around it was it was just the courses
0: and well and I know that you also do a lot of directing regionally and stuff and um what have the last few years been for you as far as your sense of home and your sense of being grounded and not spending a lot of time in New York and what what is that like I know you're having, like, this community every place you're going, which is always kind of amazing when you're, like, deep in it for three months with a group of people making a play, but...
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's definitely, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, I mean, I do love, uh, I do love traveling. I love getting to know different parts of this country. I think I might... Actually, I, I don't know that I would be happy making all of my work in New York um, because I think it's good to shake things up for myself and get to know different audiences and um, and serve other communities. I think you know this is a pretty saturated market here. Yeah. Um,
0: and did you grow up completely in St. Louis before? No, I grew up in New York. York. I grew up in Chicago. Mostly. Oh, that's right. Yeah, in Chicago. and then I college in St. Louis. In St. Louis. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, um yeah so like i like i like working out of town and you know now i feel like i've got this lovely little community in austin that anytime i go back which is
0: not a bad place to spend time i mean alone um
1: i love it there you know i feel i feel the same way about philadelphia there's definitely a community there in louisville um you know, and I feel like it's sort of, for me, it's it's starting to emerge in other places too, the longer I'm out there, you know, um, and working, um, it, it is, as I'm getting older, um, the nomadic lifestyle that seemed so glamorous and <laughs> exciting when I was younger, um, it's starting to lose a little bit of the sort of shine and sparkle, you know, and I think it is because, um, you know, particularly in the last year, I have felt a little untethered, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I love, I do love New York and want to make work where I live. And, um, and that is something that, um, you know, And come home to your own bed at night. Yeah. Yeah. And not, you know, the company housing or that, you know, um, the board members empty house which you know is always much nicer than my apartment but it's not home uh yeah and you know and this is sort of like um a trajectory that a lot of directors go on that you know they work a lot regionally and then eventually that sort of um transitions into a career that exists a little bit more in new york and um you know, taking a page out of Anne's playbook here and in the hopes that expectations create experience, that's (laughs) my plan. Uh Um, um, that is my intention. And I am, I am hoping to slash working towards being in the city and working in the city more in the coming years. Um, because, you know, it, it is, it is sort of getting to that point just in life, in my life, um, where, uh, where there's a desire for, um, a sense of home and, uh, a more consistent connection to my New York community. Um, and you know, the desire to build a life that is more than, um, whatever jobs I put together for that year to be able to start to look towards the bigger picture of things I want in my life. Right. Um, which includes, you know, um, maybe one day a house of state and right. children, and um yeah. you know, and a and a career that um, can can allow for, um, you know, for for a life in New York that yeah is social as well.
0: There's always that balance that I feel like you have to strike between just being excited and grateful that you have work. No matter what that means or what that entails. Yeah. Or also placing an importance on what you want outside of that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, I, I do um, when I get sort of into that, like, one of my dark side places about like, <laughs> what, what is this all going to amount to and when's it going to be whatever, you know, I do have to sort of check myself that, and remind myself that, you know, there was a time where doing this the way that I'm getting to do this seemed absolutely impossible. Yeah. You know, it seemed like the most far away dream and it was never going to happen. And I, I was just never going to be able to make it. Um,
0: and now you're doing it and it's happening. (laughs) So
1: I try to remind myself of that, that, you know, that like everything that has happened at one point sounded impossible. Right. You know, um, grad school, <laughs> Being able to manage student loan debt, you know, like these things sounded impossible, and then they happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I I hope that that trend will continue. That they just sound impossible, and then you know, by sheer force of will and hustle, and mm-hmm. you know, and putting the intention out into the world and taking the proactive steps to to make those things happen, they they will come to fruition.
0: Um, Can you tell me a little bit about your family and where you're from and what they make of your life as a director (laughs) (laughs) or how they understand it or connect with it? Uh, um, Yeah,
1: sure. Um, Yeah, my my family uh, is... My parents are both from Iran, and they came to the United States in about 1970, and my father is retired now, um, he was a pediatric radiologist and my mother stayed, um, at home to raise us and take really good care of us. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in like a fairly, you know, one could say a fairly traditional Iranian household. Um, though contrary to some, some, uh, assumptions that some people hold, like <laughs> they, it's not like they wanted me to have a career, you know, there was nothing right. of like this our daughter will marry well. <laughs> we will provide a dowry. You know, it wasn't like that. So right. um so uh, you know, they, they definitely wanted me to work, um, and to study and to get into good schools and they pushed hard. Um, particularly my, my dad, you know, he's he's um he's he's a hustler himself, you know, like he's yeah. a hard working guy and he um sort of against a lot of odds I think um accomplished a lot in his life. Um, right, uh, but you know they wanted that to be like law or really medicine who am I kidding they wanted, <laughs> they wanted me to go into, into medicine or um, you know something something that has the kind of lifestyle that they can picture and understand you know um, and I think it's really hard for a lot of people not just Iranian parents specifically mine but like but a lot of people to understand a lifestyle where you're like in one city doing a workshop for five days and then you're home for two weeks and then you're going to another city to do.
0: A and workshop it's a whole nother job and it's a whole nother job. <laughs> and they're not like, connected. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're, they're,
1: they're like still, I think sort of, they're, still, they're always wrapping their minds around the itinerary. Like the itinerary is always like, what, where, where are you now? Right. Um, but you know, I think, and it's been a long process, I think for them to get to a place of, deeper, like, emotional acceptance. And I think it always, and in their case certainly did, stem from fear and from love and from, you know, worrying about, like, whether or not I was going to be okay and whether or not I was going to be, like, you know, happy and, um, decently fed, you know? Like, you know, they were just, um concerned about the life I was signing up for which is a life of a fair amount of sacrifice and you know it's been a long process and I still feel like it's happening where there are moments where I see them kind of settle in and relax a little more about it. Do they ever get to see your shows? Yeah they came um they don't they don't get to travel too too much these days um but they they came to Seattle actually this past January and they saw the show that I'd um, devised uh, at on the boards called the Life Model,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, they were sort of like adorably giddy about it. It was really, it was really touching. It was really, really touching how much they loved it and how specifically they talked about it afterwards. Like, because I always wonder, like, what are they actually receiving from this? Like, you know that that play that that um, that piece was like. It, not, like, the most, like, naturalistic or linear thing. Like, it had, like, sections of just, like, movement and, like, video design and stuff. And then I was, like, totally into it and with it. And then my dad was, like, quoting particular parts of this, like, one monologue. And I was, like, wow, you... Oh, I was worried about whether or not that monologue was clear. I guess it was clear. That's great. You know? Um uh, so it like, it was actually, like, super cool to see them um, respond to something that also just felt like a little more connected to us just in, in the sense that the, the piece was um, the piece was about the Egyptian revolution of 2011 and Egypt Mm. and Iran are clearly very different countries that speak different languages, Um, (laughs) but it was like the closest we'd come. I mean, my work had come for them to, you know, of anything they'd seen to, to, you know, being, uh, you know, in, in relationship to, their
0: cultural identity you know mm. um and i think that meant a lot too and they didn't get to see the food odyssey when we did it did they no they didn't yeah they
1: did um we talked my to sister did
0: that's yeah. right that's yeah. right yeah. um because we talked a little bit about the food odyssey when nick was on mm-hmm. the podcast um but i wanted to ask you about it because it was such a huge project that you and he and rachel a couple other folks worked on for years and then I got to join in right at the end of the fun part and like, <laughs> do the actual production. Yeah. Um, but I was really just amazed that you guys had this idea and you produced it all on your own. You weren't with like a sanctioned theater company. It was just this, these people who wanted to yeah. follow this idea through. Can you talk a little bit about it and what it meant to you and how you guys went about making it?
1: Yeah, I mean, wow, talk about something that sounded impossible at
0: one point, you know? Um, it seemed impossible even when we were doing it. When <laughs> yeah. you were there, yeah, the director was there cooking for hours yeah. before the show. <laughs> it seemed impossible in the morning when I was making quinoa in my kitchen. We served um, dinner to the audience. It was amazing. It was so... It was, like... It's probably
1: the most... How do I put this? Like, it is probably the... Experience that took the most out of me and put the most in me at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think that that's, like, generally the way it goes. It's like the more it feels like you give of yourself to something, the more it gives back to you. Yeah, that piece started on a New Jersey transit train ride with Lauren Feldman, where I said to her that I had been reading Barbara King Salver's Animal Vegetable Miracle, and I think we needed to make a play about our relationship to food. And that was in, like, 2010, <laughs> I think. I don't even know anymore. And then it it was, um, by, you know, just, like, really good luck and timing that... I got, um, what is now called the 2050 Fellowship at New York Theatre Workshop, which, um, goes to, uh, I think it's like six artists per year to develop and uh, develop their work and, you know, develop their craft and their voice. And, um, and so I used my fellowship pretty exclusively Um, for developing this. And it started out as, like, family dinners where, like, uh, Lauren and I and a bunch of actors we had brought together who we were both just excited about. We'd get together and talk and then eventually generate material around different themes on different days. Um, And then it was, like, this really, like, slow but steady accumulation of artists and support you know where we found people along the way who wanted to make the actual play with us and then also people who wanted to help us make the play happen Um, and you know New George's came on pretty early on as a kind of umbrella organization to support it um, through their pipeline you know Um, and then Mudbone Collective came on board and then um, I, and then I was able to get a, a fellowship for these purposes for sort of self-producing purposes from um, SDC, uh, the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation. Um, and and we crowdfunded our butts off, you know, <laughs> like we into go yeah. like everybody does. Um, but it really was this like very gradual process where concurrently we were like raising money slash figuring out just like the logistics of how the hell this thing is going to happen while also figuring out what the hell it wanted to be because it started out um, with these conversations that then took the form of like three different storylines including Penelope and Odysseus like,
0: that was one <laughs> which of is three. not a small storyline as we all know <laughs>
1: While even before I'm, I made the, the proposal to Lauren, um, Joe B. Earl, this wonderful actor who was part of the de- development process for a while, we were in a workshop and he took me aside on a break and he was like, Bro, I think it's just Penelope and Odysseus. I think it's just the Odyssey. Mm. And everything else, any sort of breakout is like a branch off of that tree, but that's the tree. And I wasn't ready to hear it yet, but I never forgot it, you know? And then, like, a year later, I was like, Joey's right. That's what we got to do, you know? And so it was like, you know, we were just kind of, like, cooking this thing. Part of the metaphor. It's such a dork. Um, it was so long, you know? But I, I... Well,
0: it's really such a huge topic. Yeah. Food is such an integral part of every part of our lives.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and there were so many different ways to look at it and... And we were so, you know, we just didn't want to, um, feel like there was like a, a, like that the play had a blind spot to, you know, I think we wanted to like tackle it all. And I think that, you know, that's what sort of contributed to its very ambitious scope. But I think ultimately it was, it was having the realization that like we couldn't say it all and that it isn't, that, that like the solution as always, it's usually pretty simple.
0: You know? mm. um, I just I just have such fond memories it was so special that it's hard to convey to the listeners what this whole play was about but at the end of it, it all ended with the cast serving dinner to the audience and people would literally stay for an hour yeah. after the play was over yeah. eating and chatting about a million different things that the play had, remi- had reminded them of and making friends with the people at the communal table next to them, and it was really, really special. I hope at some point it'll have another life.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. I feel like, you know, (laughs) you know, one of the big intentions behind it was also about just sort of like removing the anonymity with which we so often go to the theater, you know, and um, we're sort of in and We sit down with the people we came with or by ourselves as the case may be and we watch the thing and then we leave with the people we came with and we don't we just went through this experience Mm -hmm. with all these other people and we don't even exchange a a word with them Um,
0: and tech the presence of technology and other entertainment in our lives mm -hmm. is even more like that yeah and the fact that theater is now like Mm -hmm. that a lot of the time yeah
1: and you know a big big, um, uh, inspiration for it came years years ago, I went to see the Lily's Revenge at Here, mm-hmm. and it was this like six-hour Taylor Mac show. It was amazing. I loved it. And one of the things they did was at the beginning, um, uh, one of the performers came out and said, like, you cannot pull out your cell phone on the first two intermissions, and then on the third one, you can if you want to. It's an option, but you don't have to take it. And in the first two intermissions, what happened was people talked to each other because they weren't pulling out their phones. And I felt like I um, got got to know and and just conversed with people at that show more than I had at like the previous ten shows i would mm. gone to, you know. And then in the third intermission, like most people took out their phones and I took out my phone. And then as soon as I did I like, immediately regretted it, you know, because right. felt it felt like me. a cop out kind but, of. Yeah, and it like sort of broke the magic and. Um, you know, so that that piece definitely had gotten my wheels turning around the same time. You know, as I was reading um, the King Solver book about like how do we, act, you know, we talk about the theaters about community, but how are we actually making community other than just like putting a bunch of strangers in a dark room together? You know, like we have if we want to if we want to say that that's what we're doing, we have to do more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so that was a, a big part of it. Yeah, that was a fun one. It was
0: so fun. Um, Are there any, like, concrete things that you turn to when you feel yourself? Like, if you're having a particular day where you really feel yourself going to the dark side, like, are there things that you reach for? Yeah.
1: um, I mean, this is going to sound so obvious, but, like, there there are certain friends of mine, you know, that I just, who I just know are going to be, like... (laughs) Yeah. Who are going to offer you know both the empathy and also the tough love yeah. that I need you know because a lot of times like I said you know it's like that that dark side is is self created you know mm-hmm. it's, it's um, it is it is a dark side of my own making of the story that I am telling myself and um, I'm really fortunate to have a lot of really amazing friends in the theater who get it. And also know me, and have known me for a really long time, and can um, help me see what I'm doing to myself ultimately, because
0: that's what it is, I think. And also make you feel seen. Yeah. Too, I'm yeah. sure.
1: Yeah. Um. You know, I also it, this is all going to sound really corny, but like I also feel like it's really important for me to because you know we're just. we just neurologically focus on the negative more than the positive. It's a survival instinct. Um, you know, there's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's just a natural tendency that I think everyone has. And so I think that in these moments for me, it's really important for me to actively and consciously focus on the positive and actually name things I'm grateful for. Um, and that always makes me feel a little better. Um, yeah. And you know that sounds a little Pollyanna-ish, like to be like, be you know, practice gratitude. But like, I think it's really helpful because it's it it's like negative emotions are just so much more powerful, and negative memories are really powerful and um and and like to balance that back out i think it's really important to just sort of say like hey wait a minute it's not all shit right now like, yeah maybe you could just look at you know a few of the things that are going
0: well or even the basic things that are going well that you're paying, yeah. paying your bills this month uh, <laughs> yeah yeah totally or that you mostly have your health this month or whatever yeah. it is yeah
1: i mean and that's a thing too of like where i really feel like and also just like in this current just political social climate you know i feel like i a lot of times you know a dark side for me emerges out of the the news Um, yeah you know and
0: it's overwhelming
1: it's i mean especially now in the age of like constant information sharing in a way i'm like oh i feel so much more informed and another way i'm like oh my god if i see one more like discriminatory bill getting passed in one more state I just don't mm-hmm. know what I'm going to do um, but also you know um, that also just sort of reminds me of like what what larger that I'm that I'm very small you know and yeah. like, the world is big and there are a lot of big bigger problems than my silly little i didn't get that job or i had a bad day of rehearsal problems you know um which are you know valid or whatever to my emotional experience but i think it's the perspective check and then also you know at times like putting my time and energy towards like getting informed and seeing what i can do to service like a larger cause that is not my career as a freelance theater director, you
0: know, but instead, that's the problem with being a freelancer though, is that you have to focus on it. I do. So it is good to get your perspective out of it, but like yeah. you end up focusing so much time on yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it is, um, and it can get so, um, I feel like one can develop such tunnel vision because there's the work of the project that you're currently doing the project that you're doing next and then the work of getting the next job which is so much work um, uh, and and so you know I think particularly at this age um, and being a taxpayer and and being you know no longer sort of the politically apathetic 18 year old that I was you know I'll admit it right here on the compass um, <laughs> um, you know uh, it it is important to me to consider what I'm doing as a citizen of the world that isn't just about like, you know, trying to make a play that moves people and hopefully challenges misconceptions and hopefully expands, you know, an audience member's thinking or a sense of humanity. Um, but also like, you know, to remember the world. And, yeah. And that there are bigger problems that, I don't know, I feel you know, I'm mostly... Not entirely, but in in some ways, like there there are a lot of there are a lot of injustices I don't experience firsthand, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that sort of like perspective check helps. Listening to good news helps, you know. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'll never, uh, you know, I, I'll never tire of going to the theater and of experiencing art in a lot of different ways and going to see a movie or. You know returning to a book that I really love or listening to an album that I know is going to make me cry and that's okay because I just need to get it out yeah um you know inside out that movie um <laughs> got me through some dark times you know like it's you know so there's a lot it, there's a lot of different sort of antidotes I feel
0: like well on that note have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend
1: I mean I'll be like one of like jillion people to recommend hamilton (laughs) i just saw it on thursday and it kind of changed my life oh on thursday yeah yay yeah it was amazing um it was just so moving to see a story of this country that felt like it was for everyone
0: yeah Um, through that lens
1: yeah i mean i haven't been in new york a whole lot lately um to see
0: shows here um but Have you gotten to see many shows when you're out of town, or not really? A little bit. Or just, like, your students' work?
1: Yeah, students' mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah, I definitely saw a, a lot of my students' work uh, while I was in Austin. And then there were some other shows on the go in Austin while I was there, so I got to check out some stuff that was going on in the community, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, but, yeah, I haven't... It, 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 it feels like i i've been sort a out of practice of like regularly going to the theater i'm seeing familiar on thursday night which i'm really excited about mm-hmm. I need mean to see fun home um, yes you know and um oh i'm checking out the pipeline festival at the women's project oh. which i recommend it's uh five shows total by five different playwrights and directors and producers and um I will be ultimately seeing four of the five. I was out of town for the first, good. Okay. it's really exciting because it's all women artists, and um, it's just like a really cool theater that I think is doing the important work of, of um, you know putting female artists out there. And so I'm stoked for that. And Hades Town, I'll be seeing that for sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. Wonderful.
0: So Peron, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been so great. Thank you for listening to the Compass podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi. And a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.